one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. He carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper. Do we know what color a jasper is? It's red, apart from when it's green or when it's blue. (laughs) Clear as crystal, which is still not red or green or... Anyway, moving on. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, three on the west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations... And on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square, as long as it was wide. I'm glad John's making sure we know what a square looks like. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length. And as wide and as high as it is long. Hang on. I mean, it's a cube. He measured its wall, and it was 144 cubits thick. We think the walls here are thick, don't we? 144 cubits. Cubit? That's cubit. From elbow to middle finger. That's huge. By man's measurement. So, angel and man... Uh, hmm. which the angel was using the wall was made of jasper red, green, blue or whatever and the city was of pure gold as pure as glass Uh, what? anyway the foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone the first foundation was jasper red, green or blue the second was sapphire the third chalcedony the fourth emerald the fifth sardonyx the sixth carnelian the seventh chrysolite the eighth beryl the ninth tobas the tenth Chrysoprase, the 11th Jacinth, and the 12th Amethyst. It's a lot of different jewels, isn't it? The 12 gates were 12 pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. Hang on, how thick are the walls? And a, the one pearl for the gate? Whoa! That's a very good it's a very, very big oyster. I just took the words out of my mouth. And the bit of grit in that oyster must have been the size of a flipping mountain to cause that. Anyway, where are we? The great street of the city was of pure gold, like transparent glass, which pure gold is like transparent. Anyway, I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, <coughs> for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. Confused? It's a bit weird, isn't it? This is again John trying to describe something that is beyond words. So he uses symbolism. I nearly go as far as to say that every number and every image in Revelation is symbolic. 
they're not literal. So those of you of a literal mindset, please try and suspend that about now. Everything we're going to talk about is symbolic, but it speaks into that which is literal, into that which we experience. Can we go back to verse 9, please? I sat with this at the beginning of the week. I suddenly realised the idiot that does the rotor had put me down to preach twice directly after the conference. <laughs> so I had words with him. And he won't be doing that again. That's fine. That's me, for those of you who won't. And I sat down at the beginning of the week to do this because I knew I wouldn't have a lot of time over the weekend. And I actually started to write a text to Paul to say, not 9 to 25, do 10 to 25. I'm going to leave verse 9 out. And I don't often hear this, but Lord went, the Lord went, don't you dare. To bother. So I said, but Lord, verse 9 doesn't really connect. I'm just going to do the images in verse 8. Look at verse 9. Look at verse... Okay. One of the seven angels and the seven, who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues come, came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride and the wife of the Lamb. So I said, Lord, Lord is it about the angels? No. Okay. I said, But here's my confusion, Lord. I will show you the bride and the wife of the Lamb... Don't get too confused about the bride and the wife because that's to do with cultural things because you're not the wife when you're the bride. You're not the wife until you've, the bride thing's happened. But in Eastern culture, you are the wife as soon as you're the bride. Ah, it's, just, it's tautology and it's John deliberately repeating himself but using two different images to tell you the same thing. Come, I will show you the beloved of God. The one who is wedded to, the one he's covenanted to. That's not what the Lord wanted to show me. I'd got that. I said, but Lord, here's my confusion. The angel says, I'll show you the bride and the wife of the Lamb. And the rest of the passage is about the city. And the Lord said, exactly. What? Suddenly I realised... The picture of the city is a picture of the bride. So the city isn't just where we're going to live, it's who we are. Oh. So I had half an hour in Pizza Hut, the Pizza Express this afternoon, breaking the Sabbath and eating lunch, going, oh, 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 oh. I got very excited. The waitress in there was a bit concerned about serving me a Diavolo pizza on a Sunday with my dog collar on. <laughs> you know, but um, hey-ho. So everything we're about to see in the city is true of the bride. So who is the bride? We are. So everything we're about to see in the city is true of the bride, is true of the wife, which is the church, which is us. I've been watching a stream of um, discussion on Facebook. A friend of mine called Ian Paul often puts stuff out, which is not contentious, but he puts it out from a biblical perspective to try and get people to think. And I've seen time after time, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. 
I love Jesus, but I can't do the church. I love, and when you dig, it's not just that they hate the organisation of the church. It's not just the Church of England or the Baptist Church. They actually hate the, the people coming together because you can't trust them. I had somebody I prayed for this last week. Doesn't matter who it was. Wasn't praying for them with any of you. And it's not somebody from our church. But this person is a prophet. And was very quick to tell me that they'd ministered on five continents. And the Lord had prospered, prospered them from nowhere, a difficult situation. And they got lots of money and they, a big house. And they were doing this and they were doing that. And, and they said to me, I didn't like your talk on Thursday night. I said, well, I'm not surprised. He said, no, no. Leaders are the enemy until they prove otherwise. I'm like, gee, thanks. But that's actually, and I challenged. I said, we turned out to be the same age, exactly. And I said, okay, when you first became a prophet 30 years ago, prophets were outside the church. I get that. The church didn't understand them. Church couldn't handle them. I said, but now, our generation are now the church leadership. And if you continue to stay outside the church, you will never see the breakthrough that you want to see because those of us inside the church are waiting for you to come and join us so we can do this together. I said, but if you don't trust us, we're never going to trust you. Oh, but I've been hurt. But I said, yeah, I know. I get that. This is his bride. How can we hate the bride of Christ? We've got... You know, and when you're not the bride, I'm not the bride, we are the bride. And unless we are together, we're not fully who we should be. So, I'm going to pull out some images from the next, whatever, however many verses... And remember, I'm going to be describing a city. But I'm not describing a city. I'm describing you as the bride of Christ. So try and get your head around that as we go through. The angel, by the way, takes him up to a mountain. Yep, takes him right up to the mountain. That imagery, if you know your Old Testament, that imagery is so important. The Psalms, so often the prophets, the, the throne of God is on the mountaintop. They go up the mountain to worship. When Jesus meets a Samaritan woman, she says, well, we go up this mountain, you go up that mountain to worship. Where did Moses go and get the Ten Commandments? Up the mountain. Where did Jesus go to preach the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount? It's... it's a key image. So here's John saying, the angel took me up. What happens from the mountain is you get God's perspective. You, you get high above what's going on. So what we're about to hear is God's perspective on his bride, on the city, on the bride, on the city, both. It's his perspective. And John trying to explain it. I'm sure when we get to heaven and we go up to John and go, so what did you mean by, I just go, look. And we go, oh yeah. Because it won't matter. 
Because we'll see whatever we need to understand in the person of God who's in front of us anyway. So will God be in front of us in heaven or will Jesus? This is the character of the city. This is the church. This is you. Verse 10. Carry me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and show me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Where is the genesis of the city? Where is the beginning of the city? Where is the city rooted? In heaven. In heaven. Where are our feet? Yeah. Now. We're in heaven. Are you raised with Christ? Yes. We're raised with Christ. Not we will be. We are. We are citizens of heaven first. We happen to be living out our earthly life. But we do it rooted in heaven. We do it from above, not below. We pray from above. Do you recognize any of this? The city is rooted in heaven. The city finds its beginnings in heaven. The city is created in heaven. And then comes a notice. Remember, this is the new heaven and the new earth that is coming. This will all be wiped away. There will be apocalypse and this will go. And the new heaven and the new earth will come and it's a flipping cube and I don't understand it. Got a little insight later. Chris said a few, a couple of months ago, it's flipping huge. I don't think he used the adjective there. But he didn't. He said it, it's just enormous. But it's from heaven. The city is rooted in heaven. The bride is rooted in heaven. The church is rooted in heaven. Where are you rooted? Where does most of our thinking come from? Earth. That's number one. We're rooted in heaven. Number two. It. What's it? A little Bible study with all of you here. So no, there's a few of What's it? The city. Yeah. It, the city, uh, the bride, um, the church. Um, we shine with the glory of God. The city is radiant with his glory. It's rooted in heaven and radiant with his glory. What does that mean, the glory? What have we, what have we learned that the glory means? It's his presence. So the city shines with the presence of God. The bride shines with the presence of God. The church shines. You shine with the presence of God. Why wouldn't you? Jesus dwells in you by his Holy Spirit. Please don't muck about and disconnect those two. I, I hear so much rubbish teaching that says, well, we have Jesus when we get converted and the Spirit comes at baptism of the Spirit. It's absolute garbage. We have God when we come, become Christians, both Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the Father dwelling in us. Yes, we need a second experience of God. Uh, and a third, and a fourth, and a fifth, and a twelfth, and a three hundred and fifty second. We need an ongoing filling of him. 
And the first one may be so amazing, it feels like a new baptism. It's not. It's just a release of what's already there. Oh, we've argued so much about the baptism of the Spirit. Do you know what? If you're a Christian, you've got the Holy Spirit, now experience. And if you haven't, that might be a special thing. But it's not. And you don't have to speak in tongues. It's a good thing to do, and everybody can, but you don't have to. But it's a good thing to do. Do you see I'm struggling with that one? Because I want to say to you all, please speak in tongues. But, I, but you don't have to. But do. But you don't have to. <laughs> ah. <laughs> you get it. We are radiant with his glory. This jewel, a precious jewel like a jasper, clear as crystal. The commentators actually think that John has no idea what jewels look like. <laughs> and they think this is a diamond. Which is the most precious of jewels. It's the most rare of jewels. Because carbon doesn't normally get under that level of pressure. Hey, look at me doing the science. The amount of pressure that carbon normally gets under leaves coal, not diamond. That's why diamonds are so rare. Sorry. I only went into the Marilyn Monroe song there. I won't go there. Um, that's why it's clear as crystal. The point of it is very precious. So we shine with the brilliance of the most precious jewel ever. We shine with the presence of Jesus. Look at the person next to you. Both sides. They're all looking at you now. See? There you go. <laughs> do you see them shine? Yes, absolutely. So do you believe that you do? <laughs> Did you hear that? Oh. <laughs> you believe somebody else does. And they believe you do. But they don't believe they do themselves. So if we all believe each other's does, can we agree that we do ourselves as well then? So that you're just in agreement with everybody else in the room? Oh, and God. So do you shine because you're more holy than everybody else? Well, sort of, because we carry Jesus, but not in practice, no. None of you shine more than the others. We all shine because we carry the presence of Jesus. So not only are we rooted in heaven, but we're radiant with his glory. And that's his presence. First, can I get verse 22 and 23 as well? Because I'm not doing the verses in order. Just keep you on your toes at the back. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. That's to do with the presence as well. So if we're radiant with his glory, we don't need a temple because he is present. We don't need a building. We do for so many other things, but not, not to worship in that sense. We don't need a temple. And the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God, the presence of God, gives it light. And the Lamb is its lamp. So we don't need the sun and the moon because we've got God. We don't need the created lights because we are lit by the uncreated. Just hold on to that one for a moment. 
Because God isn't created, is he? He is uncreated. He is, he just is. So we don't need, and of course, John's got in his mind here that two of the biggest images of pagan worship are to worship the sun or to worship the moon. So there's no temple and there's no light because there's no need for sun on the moon. There's no need for confusion. We've got Jesus. So John, might, it might be confusing, but there's a lot in there that he actually has got across that we miss. There's also a lot that he's confused about. Am I saying scripture is confused? It's not clear. So that's the presence. That's the glory. It's not just diamond. It's not just us. But actually we don't need light. We don't need false gods. And his presence is the reality of worship. Ezekiel 48. This is my, the only of my... If you, it, please, if you want to understand Revelation, read the whole of Ezekiel. It won't help you all the time, but you'll get some insight. The distance all around will be 18,000 cubits. They're describing the temple. And the name of the city from that time on will be, the Lord is there. The temple described in Ezekiel 48 and the city described in Revelation 21 are not the same size. They're not the same shape, but by heck, they seem very similar. The Lord is there. The city is called, the Lord is there. We're rooted in heaven. We're radiant with his glory. Back to verse 12 of Revelation. Keeping them on their feet back there. It had a great high wall. John's trying to tell us this is the stronghold of God. And we normally use the word stronghold negatively. But if it's God's stronghold place, it's safe. This is the safest place we could ever be. There's a high wall right around it. And the wall's there to keep stuff out, not to keep us in. <laughs> the Berlin, went all, Berlin Wall went up to keep the, the East Germans in, not the West Germans out, really, if we're honest. Though they claimed it was there to keep the West out. This one is to keep us completely safe. And we don't actually need to see a wall. But when we see it, it helps us. We know we're safe. So we're rooted in heaven. We're radiant with his glory. And the raised walls give us safety. Have you got it yet? Every point begins with an R. Hey, hey. I haven't done one of these for ages. Fourth point. I'll give you the point and then we'll go through the verses. Not only are there raised walls and we're safe, but there is radical abundance and completeness. And I mean radical. Can you think big? Can you think huge things that could happen? You know, more. And then when you've got more, do you know what there is? More. Because the more is infinite. You can never exhaust the provision of God. You're worried about your pension? You're worried about your pension, Becky? Not yet, don't. I wouldn't. Are you worried about... Are you worried about... 
Malcolm ever getting any work, you know, whatever you're worried about. Of course we do. There's radical abundance. There's radical abundance. Does everybody here know about your job? Do you know Wendy's resigned and leaving Restore Home? Little bit of, oh, how are we going to afford no job to go to, nothing coming up. You tell. It's your story, dear. The short version. The short version is that a job literally landed on my desk a week ago, and I had an interview. I had a. I submitted a CV, got an interview within an hour, and got offered the job a few days later. Um, after a couple of months off, and it's it ticks. Somebody asked me what my ideal job would be, and I just wrote, I, I just said, this many hours, flexi time, and listed off all these things, and it ticks literally every single box with extras. <laughs> Do we need to worry about God's provision? We might need to worry if we want the provision to to hit certain things, but if we lay it down. Just let, we'll be fine. We'll be fine. The radical abundance, the radical completeness in verses 12 to 14. There's 12 gates. The number 12 means complete in Jewish thinking. That would be why there's 12 tribes and 12 apostles. Because the 12 tribes and the 12 apostles come together. So there's 12 gates with 12 angels. On the gates were written the name of the 12 tribes of Israel. Don't move. We're still too late. He pressed the button. So there's 12 gates. Gates, which we'll discover in a moment, are to remain open. They're to remain open. 12 gates. There's abundant entry. When John is seeing this, the church is in, in, in its infancy. There's hundreds, maybe thousands of Christians, if that. Not the millions there are on the planet now, and the millions that have come to faith and died in Christ in the last 2,000 years. This, the gates, the, the fact there are 12 gates means that there are 12 openings for anybody from anywhere to come. They've got to come to Christ. They've got to come through Christ because he is the gate. It says in, oh, John's gospel, doesn't it? Weird that. Weird he's seeing things that he's all, was already part of his God. Ah. Hmm. This is how we know he wrote it because the imagery is often similar. But there's 12 gates. That means there's 12. That means there's people from every nation coming. And he's only just started that. And he's a Hebrew. He's Jewish. He's got, and he knows Paul's around, cause, and that's starting to happen. And this is breaking open his thinking that Messiah isn't just for Israel. And Israel isn't just Israel. It's the whole planet. And we know that we've got to go, and there'll be people from every tribe and every nation, every tongue, and they will come in. And he will be their God. 
12 gates, 12 angels. Again, this sense of, of watchmen looking out, but also of, of the angels welcoming people in, those sending messages to these 12 tribes, to these, this fullness of... The angels are at work out there already. Are there tribes coming backwards and forwards to you? What did I just say? Tribes. Are there angels coming backwards and forwards to you? Sorry. Yes, do we see them? No, but they're there. The bride, we together have 12 gates. We have the fullness of people from every nation. And we do. Maybe not here, because we don't have every nation around us. But the bride together from every nation. And the 12 angels. And the 12 angels at the gates. And on the gates were the names of the 12 tribes. Now we can move, Johnny. Thank you. And there's 12. Where's the next bit? 14. So there were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, three on the west. People from the north and the east and the west and the south will come. That's the point. The wall of the city had 12 foundations. It have to be that flipping thick. But we don't know whether it means 12 foundations as in 12 foundations, 12 sort of vertical things that made up the foundations, or does it mean 12 foundations? Do you know what? doesn't matter what it means it has perfect foundations it's never going to crumble there's 12 foundations on, on, on them with the names of the 12 apostles the perfect 12 tribes 12 apostles bang we're going to get to the number 144,000 that's just 12 times 12 so that's perfect times perfect it's perfectly perfect that's all it means And the 12 apostles. So we've got 12 angels, 12 gates, 12 tribes and apostles, 12 foundations. And uh, this is verse 18. Johnny, if we can. We'll get back to the measurements in a minute. Verse 18. The wall was made of jasper, the city of people. The foundations, how many foundations? 12. Uh, were decorated with every kind of precious stone. Guess how many precious stones there are? 12. Do you know where these 12 stones come from? These are the 12 stones on the breastplate of the high priest that goes into the temple. You know that bit in the, the Old Testament where he goes in once a year and they tie a thing around his ankle just in case he drops dead in God's presence and they can pull him out? He wears this breastplate. This is the thing that David, this is the ephod that David gets by which he inquires of God. What happened to it? Did, did, did the stones light up or something when God's, I don't know. But, but you know, somebody suggested that, that they, because it's got to be, it's Stone Age culture, so it's got to be something simple for them to understand God is speaking to them. It's not beyond God, is it? But here it is. What, they, what this is saying is, these stones that are resting from the Old Testament sacrificial system are built into the foundations of the New Jerusalem. Of course they are. Because they are there 
because this was the system that predated Christ and then Christ fulfilled that and here's the consummation of what Christ has done. And the 12 stones are still there. It's perfect. This, per this building is perfect. This church, this, sorry, this city is perfect. What's the city? The city is the bride. The city is the church. The city is us. Therefore, we are... Now, I know we're not in practice, but this is the image that's being pursued here. Verse 21. What's the next one? The 12 gates were 12 pearls, each made of a single pearl. The great street was a city of pure gold. Pearls, gold, pavements. What is this city? With all these, what all these jewels? What would you describe them as? They're like turkeys, aren't they? They're beautiful. <laughs> Somebody explain that. Explain that one to Becky later. That's an old advert. Sorry. But they're, they're beautiful, aren't they? This city is beautiful, adorned with jewels and gold and pearls. Just like a bride. Who is the church? Who is us? You're beautiful. No matter what they say. But Christina Aguilera there. You're beautiful no matter what they say. You are beautiful. We're not going to go back to the previous verses. But where he measured out, oh, we have gone, no we haven't. Don't, don't go back, Johnny, just stay there. But you know where he measures it out and it's 144,000 cubits and it's a cubit. Did you know, you know 12 is the perfect number, the number of perfection and completeness in Hebrew thought. Well, in Greek philosophy, the cube is the perfect shape. Well, he didn't know that till I read that this week. But again, and John, John knows his philosophy. I mean, the, the, the introduction to John's gospel is John deliberately coming against profaning, prevailing philosophy of the time. The, the Logos philosophy, in the beginning was the word. It's him deliberately come, using Greek philosophy and stating Christ into that. And again, the cube. And do you know what else was cubic in shape? words can come back into my head in a minute the sanctuary in the temple oh and the bit under the mercy seat on the tabernacle the place of the perfect sacrifice it was perfect the cube I, I, got, I got to be excited doing this because I, I was learning stuff like, Wait. So, God you're saying this city is perfect it's a cube it's perfect so the bride needs to be a cube. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> you know, yeah, don't. don't. <laughs> Can we go on to the, next, the last bit? The nations will walk by its light. The kings of the earth will bring their splendor. And you know, I said there's abundant entry. 
Here they are, the nations coming in, bringing their splendour in. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. Can we have the next two verses? I'm really sorry. I asked for 25. I, needed, I actually meant to 27. My fault. Because here's the last bit. So we've got that we're rooted in heaven, radiant with his glory, we're in the raised walls safe, safety. There's radical obedience and completeness. The glory of the nation's honour will be brought into it. Keep going. Next verse. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. What else? What else? Is this city? It's relentlessly pure. Nothing impure. Not not not. And anyone who does anything shameful or deceitful. Remember in the list sometimes there's witches and uh, those and this and those who lie and blah, blah, blah. So the small things with the big things. Murderers and slanderers and adulterers and liars. It's like, oh, flip. I can imagine, I can manage not to do the murder and the adultery, but I've said a few things I wish I hadn't. This is where grace comes in and repentance. But remember, this isn't about us getting... Are our names written in the book of life? Yes. I know it's so because the Bible tells me. I belong to Jesus, therefore I'm, my name's in the book of life. They're, but this isn't about us getting into the city, because the city is the bride, who is the church, who is us. So it's, we are relentlessly holy. We need to catch up with that a bit more. And in our generation, we need to call for that a bit more. But you call for holiness in the church and you get jumped on. By people who don't like being told what to do. Try doing a lot of prayer appointments with people. They don't like it when you pinch their sin and you poke on a sore place. If you had good times, then well done and brilliant. You had good people to pray for this last on Saturday, yes? Great. Wonderful. Did anybody have somebody who wouldn't go after it? Yes. And me. Yeah. And you. Yeah. Have we got people in our fellowship who are resisting doing this sort of thing? Yeah. Absolutely. We're relentlessly holy. All we're trying to do with the whole Freedom Prayer stuff is just try and walk in this. Walk in who we are. I'm going to shut up and let Johnny come and lead worship in, in two ticks. That's your 90-second warning, Johnny. Not your 90-second warning. You know. It sounds like I've been in 91 warnings already. Doesn't it? Um, so, the city of God is rooted in heaven, is radiant with his glory, is the, is the raised walls of security, has radical abundance and completeness, and is relentlessly pure. Let me put that another way. Let me put that another way. You are rooted in heaven, radiant with his glory, safe, radically provided for, full and complete in Christ, and holy. Oh, and your name is written in the book of life. 
Did you hear? What did you just say? The last thing I wrote down this afternoon is wow. And there's only one response to wow, isn't there? Let's stand.